This is Mike Sempervivi from WrestlingObserver.com. Check me out on Wrestling Observer Live every day. And also check out your boys, Rich and James, on One Nation Radio. Woo! He now rocking with One Nation Radio. Welcome to the program. Woo! James Boy, Richard Ladder, and a couple friends. Chill. With the show for your wrestling needs. Shopping out the rest of the IWC. We gon' tell her how it is. We gon' shoot from the hip. Wow. If they putting out trash, we gon' rip from the bits. Make sure that you tweet us and you rate the shows. Tell a friend to tell a friend I'll let Welcome to One Nation Radio, and now here are your hosts, Rich Latta and James Boyd, and thank you for listening. Welcome to September 28th edition of One Nation Radio. James, what's going on, man? Not too much. Excited to speak to our guest today. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, and joining us for the first time uh, for an exclusive interview with One Nation Radio, the hardcore giant Ron Nemi. Ron, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. We've really been looking forward to this since we uh, talked after the showdown in Ebor City. Uh, You'd ask me about coming on the show, and it sounded like a great idea. Yeah, man. So thanks for having me. For sure, man. Uh, and uh, I, I know Ron for like a couple of years, like um, in and out of the wrestling scenes, and you know, working backstage at a couple shows. Uh, Ron was always really friendly to me, and like you know, me being nervous as hell back there, like hey, trying to make sure I'm on my best behavior, etiquette wise, shaking all the hands and everything like that. So Ron, just thank you for uh, all that great experience, and you know, just the. Uh, the knowledge and all that you were passing to me um, back then, but um, let's get it started, man. Let's talk about you. We, we we came here to talk about you. Like, how did you get started in the wrestling business? Like, I was looking up a lot of the stuff about you, and it seems like you've been around the game for a long time, especially here in C- Central Florida. Uh, but how did you get started? I got I got stationed uh, for my first and actually last base was at McDill Air Force Base in Tampa uh, when I was in the Air Force. I ended up here in October of 91 and being an insane over-the-top wrestling fan. Um, you know, I knew about the Sportatorium and, of course, Malenko's School of Wrestling and Steve Kern had the school at the Sportatorium. Um, I was just relentless, man. I, I would show up after after a day's work at the base. I'd show up still in my uniform, and if the back front or side door was open, I'd sneak in. I'd start setting up chairs. I was always bugging him about wanting to get trained as, you know, at the time, you're talking 26 years ago. I'm only five. Yeah, you know, I'm not even five six. And at the time, I was probably 170 pounds. The idea of being a wrestler was it simply wasn't happening. You know, the idea of a small guy then was somebody like Mark Starr or Jimmy Del Rey, mm-hmm. who by today's standards on the Indies would be very big guys. Well, they were the small guys then. So you know, then I figured, well, I'll be a referee. And Mickey J at the time, um, everybody knows him from WCW and being around the Florida scene forever before that. Right. Um, he just he was very protective of his spot. Uh, it was pretty obvious he wasn't going to let me in as a referee, and I, I hold no grudges for that because you should be protective of your spot, especially when a guy that you're pretty much considering is just a mark is trying to slide through the back door. Uh, <laughs> so I just kept at it, man. I was persistent. I'd go to Malenko's school. They would stretch me. I'd go to uh, Steve Kern School where Jimmy Del Rey was pretty much the head trainer, and they'd beat the hell out of me. Uh, I was in there with guys like Buck Quarter, Maine, Navy SEAL, Bill Payne, but Long, um, Southern Posse over at Malenko School. It was just a who's who 
of guys that have made names for themselves since then, but we were all young bucks at the time trying to get going. And uh, Shannon Rose was also running Pro Wrestling Weekly on public access back then here in Tampa. And at the time, public access in this area was in more than a million and a half homes. Wow. Um, and if you were on there, people seeing it. You know, it wasn't the highest production values. But, you know, Shannon was able to get people like Shane Douglas, uh, Dean Malenko, Paulie Dangerously, Jim Ross, uh, you name it. I mean, I remember I was on the show one time with Rocky Johnson and Coach John Heath, and I was just starstruck. I couldn't believe I was on there. Right. And uh, I started... You know, I started developing this heel wrestling uh, manager character on the show. And at the same time, I'm going to both schools and bouncing around and just doing everything I could to get in the, uh, get in the door. And uh, one day, uh, the professor, Boris Malenko, was kind enough to let me manage on one of his shows. It was a kind of a step above a student show. And right around the exact same time, uh, Jimmy Del Rey put me with Bill Payne, which was his star or heel student at the time. And they, you know, put him as an opening match guy with me as the manager. And before you knew it, I was the top manager with guys like Billy Mack. Uh, guy, uh, his name is Bob Garst, but he used to wrestle as the Lord of Discipline, just this gigantic monster of a guy. And I was managing him and uh, Bad Boy Jeff Bradley. Uh, he was green as grass, but he went on to become uh, the original Dudley Dudley mm -hmm. uh, in ECW and has traveled the world, you know, for 20 years since then. So I, you know, I was very lucky while I was trying to find any way in. Next thing you know, I found myself in, but at the top. You know, I didn't have to start at the, you know, the garbage shows and the shows that, you know, I've always called them the shit shows. I still call them that. You know what I mean? I, I wasn't going to do that. If I was going to break in, I was going to break in with the top guys. Top talent. And I'm rubbing it. It was great, man. I'm in there with Robert Fuller, Dick Slater, uh, Kern. Brady Boone was doing his fire cat gimmick at the time. You had Lou Perez, Al Perez, and little old me, you know, one-stripe Air Force guy didn't know nothing uh getting the hell kicked out of me every week and uh, to me it was like it is the greatest gift ever growing up on um, wrestling in, in the upper peninsula of michigan uh bobby heenan was my idol you know and it it, uh, it was horrible that we just recently lost him but it was guys like him and Cornette and paul paulie and uh of course jimmy hart that that there i i I'm not afraid to say I stole a little bit of everything from those guys and just molded my own character. Right. Um, a lot of what Paul Lee was doing is what I was doing with IPW when nobody knew really who I was outside of Florida. I knew what the, uh, it'd be for the internet, but what the internet type fans, I always based things on Philly and, and uh, Jersey and New York and what they, what they were doing up there is what I wanted to do down here. Right. And it is what I did right from the beginning. I, I everything I did was controversial. It was very violent. Uh, the wrestling that I did that wasn't, uh, you know, we were hardcore before there was hardcore. Uh, I considered it Memphis, Puerto Rico, uh, really Florida style. Um, and we made a lot of noise and we got a lot of attention. And guys were starting to get opportunities and it, it was a cool time, man. It really was. Yeah, man. Um, like that, that, that must have been like crazy. Like, and you mentioned like, um, uh, Heenan and Cornette and uh, I see like you know like, I've seen you cut promos like live like on, on crowds and I was always just like blown away like as you're like command of the room and like how intense they are uh, like the uh, like you're a great talker man I'm, <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm not blowing your horn on that but yeah uh, I definitely see where it came from James you uh, wanted to comment on anything on that yes you brought up the uh, the, ter the term stretching um what I really wanted to know was, you know, you hear different stories about 
you know, whether about back in the day how guys will come in and, you know, they break your arm, break your leg, and then you come back. Can you, can you just describe it, you know, and go back into, I guess, memories lane about the bad old times of, of you know, having to deal with, you know, having to roll in the ring and tussle with some of these guys? I, I understood my role and, and you know, there, there was so much respect on my end for what was going on and truthfully, I was being smartened up as as it went and it wasn't anybody telling me, uh, you know, this is how we work, this is how we do it. You just had to find your way around and take insane amount of punishment. And with Malenko School, you had a heavy, heavy influence of Carl Gotch. So you had a lot of the stretching and the hooking and a lot of that going on. And if you didn't know how to protect yourself in the ring, uh, if somebody decided to go into business for themselves when you were in there, you were in trouble, especially if you were the champ. Uh, I was just a lowly manager. And I knew at any given time, especially, you know, people still at that time, they they believed or they wanted to believe. And, mm -hmm. and the entire idea of drawing money and getting heat, uh, that meant, you know, getting some real emotion out of these people. And if you didn't know how to protect yourself, uh, if somebody in the crowd uh, or maybe an outsider that, you know, worked the card and decided he was going to, again, both go into business for himself and maybe, maybe pin your champion when that wasn't what was supposed to happen. Uh, as the guy who was kind of directing traffic on the outside, which is the way I always fashioned myself, I wasn't just an extra out there, you know, like, a, you know, something to just accessorize the match. Uh, I considered myself right from the beginning as somebody that wanted to know what it was they were doing, what they were supposed to be doing, and where we were going. And if somebody seemed to be going away from what the goal was, I was really good at, at directing it back. Right. Whether it was with the guy that I was managing, uh, a veteran referee that was in there, and things would get sticky. But the punishment I took, uh, I mentioned Jimmy Del Rey. Uh, he ended up being one of my biggest influences and one of my best advisors. But the hell he put me through early on, uh, as an example, we were it was me and Bill Payne. Uh, well, me managing Bill Payne against Jimmy, it was basically a teacher versus student type deal, like kind of like Mr. Wrestling 2 against Magnum TA. Gotcha. Um, Jimmy, was, Jimmy was actually the baby face. We were the heels. And Jimmy was a long, long, long-term Florida heel that people just hated on. But we had enough heat at the time as these young, you know, basically think we're too good for the business young boys that that was the character we were playing, that we were bigger and better. And who cares if we only had six months in the business? We were going to take over the world was enough to turn Jimmy face. Well, there was a spot called in one of the matches where Jimmy was gonna up, he was gonna bump Bill with something very simple and then end up super kicking me. Well, five minutes before that was supposed to happen, I hear something what sounds like a bomb going off and it was Jimmy hitting Bill with one of the stiffest chair shots you'll ever see. And before I knew what was going on, Jimmy super kicked me in the side of the head and sent me flying with what felt like about 10 yards, but, you know, the side of my head was just destroyed. I didn't know where I was. My ear was all messed up. My equilibrium was off, and uh, it was a lesson learned. You know, the next week I show up, and um, I walk through the door, and there's Mark Starr, and there's Jimmy Del Rey just staring me down. All of a sudden, Mark opens up his arms, gives me a big hug. Jimmy kind of does the messing up my hair routine and said, kid, we never thought we'd see you again. And from that point forward, I was gold. I never had a problem again. But the price that I paid for that, um, especially as an active duty Air Force guy, you know, I was risking my career uh, basically playing wrestler. Uh, I took things a lot more serious after that, and I understood the business I was in, and I, you know, I followed that. Didn't matter if it was a veteran or a fellow rookie. That was never going to happen to me again. And I was always alert, and I was always on my toes, no matter what was supposed to happen. Wow, uh, that's 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 real deep, man. Um, 
the uh, I want to get back to like the promo stuff though, because um, like when when I first saw you, like you know, I saw your promos and they're really intense and they're focused and they're hilarious at the same time. Like uh, it, it's like some type of like dry wit. I feel like that you were like a mastermind at. Like in your mind, what um, what would make a great talker and what advice would you give to uh, like wrestlers and you know other managers for that matter? You know who may be trying to find their own voice with it. Um, my my main thing always and still to this day, even when I'm doing color commentary with Evolve, I have to tone it down a lot because that's that's strictly about the wrestlers. Uh, but I, I believe what I'm saying, and no matter how crazy it was when I was doing these promos, I really believed in what I was saying, and I was an angry person, and I was pissed, and I I I, I always felt like you know right or wrong, um, I didn't know what anxiety was back then. I know now, and I know it's an issue. Uh, back then, I just knew I was always nervous. I was always uptight. I really believed people were out to get me. And uh, it came across in the promos, man. I saw, what I was saying out there is what I really believed, especially when I waged a one-man war against TNA when they signed the Shane brothers and just made them complete asses mm-hmm. on TV. Or uh, when WCW would pull up the guys I'm pushing, uh, and there they are every Saturday night getting jobbed out in one minute. Uh you know, I believe that 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 they were doing us wrong. I believe that they thought that we were on the on the rise and that we were making a name for ourselves down here and put Florida back on the map. And I believe they were cut, trying to cut their uh, our legs out from underneath us. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, when Ring of Honor, uh, me and Gabe work really well together now. But when Gabe Sapolsky would do anything down in this area, whether if it was early on with FIP or later with Ring of Honor. Uh, when Court Ballward came to town with MLW, I, I, this is my territory, and nobody could tell me any different. I still feel the same way, and I haven't ran in you know 15 years. I don't want to run shows. It was it was the most stressful, crazy thing I've ever done in my life. I wouldn't change it for I'm, anything. I'm going to ask you about that but later. <laughs> it was insane, man, and it was all my time, all of whatever money I could scrape together. And uh, again, people would come into my backyard, not book my talent, not acknowledge me not acknowledge our fan base and walk in and think they're going to own the town. And we ki- we killed every one of them. ECW obviously was was bigger. Um, I kind of considered ourselves ECW's little brother in the Southeast. We kind of got treated that way. Mm-hmm. I knew better than to go after Pauly dangerously. Um, I wasn't going to be the type of guy that was going to harm um, the chance of my guys working there or people like Tony Mamaluke who came through us. And was there Jeff Radley again early on as one of the Dudleys? I wasn't going to do anything to hurt their business and take money out of their pockets. But when TNA come in and they're you know they were booking upwards of ten to fifteen, sometimes as much as twenty guys uh, for Tennessee. And then when they came down here to Universal, almost all of the enhancement talent came through me. Uh, lots of it came through Georgia, but most of it came through me. And these were guys I really believed in. And other than you got Jarrell Clark and Mikey Batts got opportunities. Um, Lex Lovett and Buck Quartermain had what I'd kind it, it was supposed to be an opportunity, but it never never really played out to what it should have been. All I seen was my guys, a lot of the times more talented than the guys than they were in the ring with, and they're getting paid chump change to get squashed on TV. And then I got to run that Saturday night in St. Peter, Tampa, or Crystal River, or wherever the hell we were that week. How am I supposed to draw paid you know ticket buyers to these shows or sell merchandise when we were nobody sold merchandise we did you know mm-hmm. we were one of the first ones not only we had dvds at the shows we had them on the shelves at best buy 
you know, the best of IPW volume one was one of the first indie uh, DVDs that you'll ever find. And it was Sal, the, I think it was the first DVD WWN ever produced. Mm-hmm. And me and Sal were bitter rivals. You know, me and Sal didn't get along. Um, actually fought physically uh, a few times. Uh, it was always ugly, nasty, but we were both passionate about what we did. And uh, again, if I was going to go to war with you, I was coming both guns blazing. But if I was working with you, whether it was like with a Howard Brody with NWA Florida or uh, Mr. Bill Barons with NWA Wildside up in Georgia or Combat Zone up in Philly, you know, I always had a good relationship with John Zandick, um, Jim Kettner at ECWA with the, you know, if you look at all the earliest Super 8 uh, tournaments, I had a heavy influence on who was there from Scoot Andrews, you know, to Jet Jaguar to you name it. There was so many guys we sent up there, uh, but people knew who I was and they knew who our guys were. And before the internet, if you picked up right now, if you guys go and find early issues, uh, or I'm sorry, early 90s issues and late 90s issues of Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the wrestler inside wrestling, there we are. You know, it was WWF uh, results. Uh, you might have Smoky Mountain, WCW, and there was whatever promotion I was involved in because I was standing in front of the fax every morning after the show, faxing this stuff into Brandy and the folks up at uh, Mr. After and everybody at Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Right. I knew how to create a buzz with very little money and very little resources. James? I don't know if I lost Yeah, so yeah. when you talk about, you know, some of the towns you were in, like Crystal, Crystal River, for example, do you name some of the other towns, for example, that you were also hitting at that time? Well, we were really based out of St. Pete. I was a Tampa guy, but, you know, Tampa, St. Pete was the home base. But we ran uh, Melbourne. We ran down in uh, Davie. We ran in Miami. Uh, we ran in Pinellas Park, which is, again, pretty much St. Pete. Uh, we were running everywhere, man. If, if we found a venue that was affordable and we thought that it was, you know, my, it was a really weird little deal that my my goal a lot of times when going into a town was finding towns that just didn't have nothing going on that would appreciate you bringing in some live entertainment uh, at an affordable price and then you know if if we could afford it and felt it was going to be you know really worthwhile in that town and got a sponsor or two behind it i'd bring in a name or two which you know all of a sudden you got marty Janetti uh wrestling at the crystal river national guard armory i mean that was that was just unheard of you know, and I'd bring in guys like New Jack. Uh, Love New Jack. Guys like Mike Mike Enos, I remember bringing in at one point, Hack Myers. Uh, we had a show at the Pinellas Expo Center that I was just talking about on my Facebook page a few days ago that uh, I had Kurt Hennig and X-Pac with Bobby the Brain Heenan and Kurt Hennig's corner as the main event on my show with Steve Kern and Macho Man Randy Savage doing autographs earlier in the night. That was just unheard of. You know, I mean, no nobody was going to have Macho Man in any capacity or Bobby the Brain Heenan. If it wasn't WWF or WCW, you simply weren't going to see these guys. Well, I had them, you know, and it was done. I ain't going to act like it was because of me. It was because of the relationships I built with guys like Steve Kern and veterans like that, that when I used them or when I was around them, I would just treat them right, treat them the way they should be treated for laying the groundwork for guys like us. And they would do, you know, I, if I needed a favor, I'd call it through them. And they would make things happen for me that, I mean, I, I, I'd love to just sit here and brag. I could go on forever about this stuff because it was so cool. Uh, and I find myself switching a lot of times on my own show. You know, <laughs> it's kind of hard to not switch back into, like, fan mode because you're, you're, 
you're sitting there rubbing shoulders and doing business with the people that you grew up idolizing. And, uh, you know, long story short, the main the main towns were, were again, St. Pete and Tampa, but we were hot and heavy in Crystal River for three years. We had a hell of a following there. And if you look now, the best answer I could give you is look at NXT's Florida road schedule. That was pretty much us, whether it was Largo, St. Pete, Tampa, Pinellas, Crystal River. It, it's hell it's the same venues in a lot of cases right tell us um more you you had mentioned earlier um you're now doing commentary with evolve uh tell us more about your role with wwn and like um and the things you're trying to accomplish with those guys well the main thing as far as you know for me is the being back side by side with lenny you know and lenny broke in with me with with ipw he was a fan in the crowd i've never been one to break fans in as a matter of fact he's the only one and i've been doing it again 26 years but lenny was always very knowledgeable of our guys our storylines what was going on he never missed a show and uh one night my ring announcer no showed and i asked lenny you know could you stand in and i don't if i remember right he didn't even need cards or notes or anything he just knew everything about everybody and kicked ass and it just took off from there um but sal uses me a lot for a lot of the communications with the the talent um working as an agent on the shine and um, acw shows i'm pretty much doing pre and post-match interviews uh pretty much any wbn show you see whether it's again shine acw style battle um fip or evolve uh, i'm working as an agent on all of those you know gabe evolve is gabe's deal and nobody really is is calling any of the shots other than him mm-hmm. but if something needs to be relayed to somebody you know one of the talents and he's running around uh they're not afraid to come to me sal when it's his stuff he just hands me the ball and i take over and run it for him nice um so you were you were also mentioning about um you know seeing the the folks you grew up you know idolizing uh that you were working with before and you mentioned bobby heenan and uh randy savage like what was the first time like like you know the first time you know you shared a locker room with someone that you like never imagined that you'd be there with and like how how much did you have to like hold it in it it was difficult but it also was from the first show. I mean, it was just from the beginning. Again, I'm I'm at the Sportatorium, and the, back then you had five or six matches. That was it, you know. And and I'm in there with with Dick Slater, uh, again Robert Fuller. Uh, I think it was Don Harris, one of the Harris twins. Mm-hmm. Um, Al Perez, Lou Perez, uh, Dean Malenko, all of these guys, and I'm just blown out of the water. And, you know, a lot of those guys, I had I had minimal exposure to a lot of them if they hadn't been in the EWA, WWF, or, or uh, the NWA at the time. If they hadn't spent considerable time in there, I really didn't see a lot of them. I just read a lot about them. I've been, I still, I've been reading The Observer all night tonight. You know right. I mean? Back then, it was just magazines. But, you know, the tape trading and stuff, uh, if it did exist, it really didn't reach up to, I, I mean, like we were in Detroit this last weekend where I grew up in Michigan is 10 hours north of Detroit. We were in the middle of nowhere, you know, so uh, the access to things like that just didn't exist. Um, but I was smart to who was who and what their roles were. I uh, started learning, you know, the idea of what a booker was, which you don't usually, you know, nowadays they're pretty much just called writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was always fascinated by Eddie Gilbert and Polly Dangerously and Jim Cornette. And, uh, you know, going. You know, of course, Bill Watts is one of the most legendary bookers ever. 
with what he did in the Mid-South and even some of the stuff with WCW. He had some catastrophic failures in there too, but he did some big things. <laughs> and I've always studied that stuff and it's always amazed me. I, you know, like my buddy Joey Machete is running that Pacific, uh, uh, I forget what's called the PCW out in California. They're they're absolutely on fire right now. They're doing huge, huge business, and uh, you know they're, they're they don't have quite the internet buzz of PWG, but they're out drawing them. They're they're definitely out drawing them as far as money. And he's got Kevin Sullivan side by side with them, and Kevin is easily one of the greatest wrestling minds in the history of wrestling. Yeah, um, it ain't all that much, you know. As far as a wrestler, everybody believed this guy was. You know, Bruiser Brody or Hulk Hogan or whatever, he could go toe-to-toe. He's my height, man. You know, he, <laughs> I met Kevin he's, he's uh, earlier this year. He, yeah, but he's for real, and he and he, he still to this day as an older guy has got the body of a of a of like an old-school power lifter. Yeah, he's just thick as can be. He's as wide as he is tall. And I was lucky enough to use Kevin on, on several shows with Abdul the Butcher. And uh, again, as far as being a guy who loved hardcore and blood and guts, and I always liked the freaks and the crazy people, and Kevin always had the craziest stables. And Abdullah, to me, you're not going to find you know more of a guy that looks like he's actually a monster from a movie, you know, just a bloodbath <laughs> every time. Well, to have those guys on my shows, and now to see my buddy Joey out there realizing the success he is, uh, legitimately drawing serious money. I, I want to say the last show he did, that the door was over a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, that's a lot of money for an independent show, and he's he's commanding on his. Uh, I think his front rows are like seventy-five bucks or a hundred bucks, or when he sells them out in minutes. But he's bringing in Pentagon and, and Rob Van Dam, and he's got you know John Morrison's there, and I know he's doing a lot of different stuff all over the world right now. But the way Joey's packaging a lot of these guys, you're getting to see them in matches that you normally wouldn't get to see them in, and you'll have this like this holy shit scientific you know technical style, but then the hardcore stuff they do is way over the top. You know, and Joey had a a good run himself when he was wrestling as the the Sheik. You know, he's a former NWA world champ. He's a former 0-1 heavyweight champ over in Japan. So the guy has traveled the world himself when he was here with us. And you may remember the Market Crashers when they were a tag team down here. And I would use them against the Shane brothers. And Bobby Rogers used them a lot. And so they're more South Florida guys. But I used them up here because they were extremely talented and they were a good complement to, to the teams I had. But he's drawn from all that experience and, and is given back now because while he's making money, He's putting on incredible shows, and the fans are being rewarded for, you know, supporting them. So, right. you know, I wish him all the luck in the world, man. They're doing if, – if you have a chance, check out anything they're doing. It's PCW, and it's on my, my page and everything. They're doing some serious business. Yes, y'all. Make sure y'all check out PCW. James, did you have anything on that? Yeah, so um, can, you, can you talk to us a little bit about Roderick Strong? Um, I, we've heard that you had a that you had a hand in, in you know in his in his development. Mm-hmm. Roderick Strong, when um, it would be in the about right around 1998, early 99, I used to use a, a wrestler on my shows that wrestled as as Elvis Wesley, and that was Roderick Strong's father. Um, who does in his in his shoot job? He's a, an Elvis impersonator and makes a very good living at it. Uh, you know, doing the cruise ships and all that type of stuff. That's what he does for a living. And uh, matter of fact, he just did a show at my wife's work last uh, last year. My wife helps run a nursing home, uh, assisted care facility, and, and Roderick's father was cool enough to come and put on a show for all the residents there. You know, he did it. Honestly, I know he did it for nothing. He got paid, but it was 
it was a favor and might have paid for the transportation, but the guy is he's in bodybuilder condition. He's 50 something years old and is this unbelievably entertaining guy that puts a lot into his act. Uh, well, at the time he was kind of like an underneath comedy guy for me. He, he was a heel, but he was so entertaining and funny and good. People liked him, but he, you know, it always end up with the guitar smashed over his head or something to that effect that you would expect with that gimmick. Well, I started hearing about his son at the time who was uh, wrestling as Jester. Uh, this little tiny, I want to say he was 15 years old, uh, little mask guy that was working on a lot of the shows that I just really wasn't familiar with and wasn't paying any attention to. Well, we did a tryout one time and, and Roderick came there and he's just this young baby. He still looks young on his face. You know, he's a he's a big, badass dude, but he just, I don't think he's ever going to age. Well, he, you can imagine how young he looked then. And I remember, I'm like, this kid is really, really good. But he wasn't 18, and with the shit we were doing, I wasn't going to have some kid in the ring get injured, and who knows what, whether his dad's a wrestler or not. So I told him, you know, come back. And, and I mean, he was he was back at the WrestlePlex in St. Pete, which was our home base, you know, days after his 18th birthday, and I started using him from that point. And he was an underneath cruiserweight guy that was uh, putting over, like, Scoot Andrews, Mike Sullivan, uh, you name it. I brought every cruiserweight in from around the world, from Mike Quackenbush to I, Reckless U, Twiggy Ramirez, you name it. Chris Daniels was flying in from California at the time. Uh, and Roderick was just, no matter what role I put him in, whether it was in a tag team or six-man or singles or whatever, he just stood out. It, it didn't matter if he was in there with another uh, young guy or if he was in there with some old veteran. Uh, no matter what I told him to do, he, he did more and was that much better than everybody else. And he started incorporating the, the backbreaker uh, to a degree where it was like, this guy's on to something you know, new and special here. And we started going with the master of the backbreaker type deal and put him and Cedric Strong together as a tag team. And we had done a, a cage match with Cedric and uh, Roderick against Mike Sullivan and Scoot Andrews at the WrestlePlex in a cage match. And we did a double turn on that where where Roderick and Cedric went from the cocky uh, cocky young heels uh, against the ultimate faces of Sullivan and Scoot to by the end of the match, Sullivan and Scoot had beat them so bad, so bloody, bloody they had to go to the St. Pete Hospital. Both of them had to get stapled up, stitched up. But by the end of the match, they're laying in the pool of their own blood with the new top heels of IPW who went in as the top faces standing over them looking like they killed these kids. Well, Cedric and Roderick were top faces from that moment forward. Um, I contacted John Zandig up at, up at Combat Zone and was telling him about Roderick and I was talking to Fat Frank up at Jersey All Pro Wrestling, which was on fire at the time. And I was telling him about Roderick and Cedric, and they started bringing in Roderick, and he just caught fire with both promotions. And next thing you know, Ring of Honor is calling, and the rest is history. I mean, he was there for goddamn forever, you know, and had a short stint with TNA in between and went back. And, you know, to see him doing what he's doing in uh, NXT right now uh, and making an honest, you know, a really good living and and um, I, I think working a safer style, you know, and he's closer to home. He's got a family now. Uh, he, you know, he's he as far as I'm concerned, he's probably one of my biggest success stories. And I don't take any credit. I just like to live vicariously through these guys that, that make it. And to be able to sit with my little boy and watch Roderick Strong and tell my son, you know, hey, listen, this this kid was one of my top guys. And he was just a young trying to find a spot, dude. And look where he is now. And then to show my son at the same time, from the exact same time frame, here's AJ Styles as my world champ at the time, 
um, it, it's pretty cool where, where my little boy can even realize the, the progression of if you work hard enough and if, if you're determined and dedicated enough that you might be working in front of 100 people or, you know, 200 people at some armory or, you know, 100 people at the WrestlePlex in a 120-degree building dying of heat. Next thing you know, these guys are headlining Madison Square Garden or headlining NXT like Roderick is right now. I mean, right. it's... It, it can change that quick, guys, and, and Roderick is the best example I can give you because he wasn't the best on the stick. Um, he had I, I thought he had a great personality outside the ring. Uh, he always kind of had the knock for several years where he was, you know, I guess vanilla, where some people would call it, kind of like the knock that Dean Malenko had against him for years. But the, the quality of work in the ring more than made up for all of it. In NXT, they're now letting him really show his personality and latching onto his strengths. Uh, I always kind of resented the fact that he wasn't there sooner. Um, he was making a great living internationally with Ring of Honor, but he belonged in the WWE. Um, I, I, like I said, I resented it for several years. Uh, you know what? I look at it now and I think it, it played out exactly the way it should because he is a top guy, and I hope we're watching him on Monday nights next year. Right. Um, now, as far as uh, Central Florida goes, like, what what is the state of uh, like the, the the wrestling industry in Central Florida? Is it ripe to become a hot spot once again, uh, or is it like kind of still you know trying to you know like pretty much after a generation finishes, it's like a, you got to kind of rebuild, you know? So like, how far along do you think uh, Central Florida is right now? It, it's a weird, weird area, and it was when I was running it. You know, uh, like the Peterson Cup, we ran for ten, for ten years. Yeah, if you look at the roster, 16 guys every year for 10 years, an absolute who's who of, of at the time, current stars and definitely future stars that are, I, I can't even tell you how many of them are on, on the top in WWE, TNA, and internationally right now. Uh, but it just didn't have what I would consider the, uh, the support it should have had. Uh, and if you've been to any Evolve or FIP or Shine shows down here, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, these these kids are going out there and they're they're giving it all in the ring, and the fans that are there appreciate it. But where are the fans? I mean, it's I've always been a little angry about that. Where you know, the the shows down in Ybor City are always ran at the Orpheum, and they've always got respectable crowds and they're, they they like what they see. But we're not we're not exactly turning people away at the door. And then a promotion like Chikara comes in. And there's a line around the block. You, you, I mean, it's like it's Florida fans to me have always seemed to have this attitude. The indie scene has had an attitude that if it's from out of Florida, it's it's got to be good. And if it's from Florida, uh, you know, it, it's Florida wrestling. It, we could be using the same people. Um, Sal and WWN advertises the hell out of everything they're doing. They're putting on these fantastic shows. Uh, we were just up in Detroit and Chicago this weekend. Yeah, I was with, talking uh, about people. that. Yeah. yeah, it was sick. And then there's 500 people going crazy at both shows. If we ran that down here, I think we would have considered ourselves lucky to have half of that at both shows. And it's it's not because the the product's any different. It's the same whether it's here. Um, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're, we're in Connecticut and New York. Um, if you're good enough to be running New York City, you should be packing them down here in Tampa or Ebor, St. Peter, uh, Newport Ridge. You take your pick. Um, it does have a little bit to be with. You know, I do think the fans have gotten spoiled down here for many years. Uh, going back to the old school fans, you had the absolute greatest, but they supported it. Uh, but those, those people that we remember as legends that helped pave the way, uh, people that they were associated with also helped burn this territory to the ground. So anybody that's came on after that, 
has just been trying to rebuild forever. Mm -hmm. uh, I've definitely seen an, I've seen an uptick in things. Um, there's a lot of shows right now. If you're a young talent and you're willing to get out there and, and hustle and work, you could be working three, four, five times a week easily. No problem at all if you're going to travel and put in the time. Uh, and some of these shows are doing really well. Um, me and you were talking a little bit earlier before the show. Um, Court Bauer and, and uh, Mr. St. Laurent is, are resurrecting MLW. Uh, and you got Wale involved and you've got, you know, it's really a top-notch show with a lot of buzz behind it. And you got guys like Ricochet coming in and it, it's pretty loaded. I really hope that they get the support that they should because I hope it's something that I think it started with the idea of, hey, it's going to be one show. I'm pretty sure they've decided already at this point that it's going to be more than one show. Mm -hmm. Now it's up to everybody to go, you know, buy a ticket and go to the show. Right. James, you got anything on that? Yeah, you made a great point about, you know, the local support, and especially in Ebor, because me and Rich, we've gone to um, a few, quite a few Shine shows. He's gone to probably about twice as many as I have. And it's one thing when you see, um, like, a lineup, of, of people that are that are stars. It's another thing when you see people that are like also up and comers, and 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 you know the crowd's there and as you said, but it's not like completely packed. I, I, um, it is so weird that um, you can see you know as WWE just had the uh, the May Young Classic, like there were there were like what six, seven, eight girls or women that we saw on Shine and had good matches, matches that were of the same caliber. As on the on the network for the for the classic, and you know, it, it's sort of weird. Like I wonder if there'll be a carryover now that you know they they're quote unquote some of these women have made it and they're still you know you can go back and see them. But you're right, it is it, it is a weird thing about that. Well, we saw that with the the May Young uh, classic is is, I mean, literally exactly what happened with the cruiserweight tournament. I mean, if you guys go back and watch the, the Cruiserweight tournament on, on uh, the WWE Network, every highlight shown on there to push these guys was, was WWN footage. All, all these guys came from Evolve. I mean, I, I don't, unless it was a European guy or a Japanese or a Mexican guy, everybody came from Evolve. And Sal and uh, the World Wrestling Network was just providing footage, and the rub that we got from that was fantastic. And you can look at the main roster, and there's just so many guys. Like on NXT, you got Drew, you know, Drew Galloway and uh, Drew McIntyre. I'm sorry, yeah, Drew McIntyre and Roderick Strong on top over the belt. Well, that was Evolve's main program two years ago, a year and a half ago. You know, you got Uha Nation uh, up there. Like Christ, I feel, uh, Apollo, Apollo Cruz, Cruz yeah. No, no. You know, you got Rich Swan, you got Anthony Nice, you got I could go on and on and on. You know, uh, you got Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. Those are both former FIP heavyweight champions. You know, the the list just goes on and on. If they came through, CM Punk is a former FIP champion. Right. You know, it's just you're talking time goes, especially at my age. Time has went by so fast that a lot of the guys I'm referencing, like their young guys. Have already come and gone. You know, CM Punk had an insane run on top with the WWE, and he's as true of an indie guy as you'll ever find. Same as uh, you know, American Dragon, uh, Brian Danielson. You know, when when those guys made it, 
I, I knew how talented they were. Everybody did, but I still was shocked just based on appearance. That just wasn't what the WWE ever subscribed to or, or told you what a wrestler was. And if you got behind them, nine times out of ten, they would cut their legs out from underneath them. And they tried it with both those guys too. <laughs> yes, uh, they've done it. Yeah, they've done it to Dolph Ziggler for you know. I don't consider him an indie guy, but. He, he, the more people get behind them, the more they feel hellbent on proving you. You're not going to decide who the champs are, uh, or who top guys are even. But with with um, Daniel Daniel Bryan and Punk, they were so good, and the movement was so strong that they just couldn't. They really couldn't stop it. And uh, you know, for Punk to walk away on his own terms uh, with a you know a, a bank account full of millions of dollars and his health still intact and his mental health now intact compared to the madness that comes with working there. Um, you know, it's fascinating to see it, and it's only going to get bigger. We got guys right now on the WWN roster that you know, uh, Matt Riddle is probably one of the best superstars I've seen. And I don't, dude, he's only been around like two years, and he's he he looks like he's been doing this his entire life. He's so good, and he's that good on the mic too. Uh, and, and and Zack Saber Jr. I mean, the guys like watching an artist inside the ring. It's sick, and it don't matter. You know, they they put him in. Uh, put him in there with uh, Jason Kincaid this weekend in Detroit. And you look at uh, the, just the, how different they look and, and just the physical nature of them. And you're going, I don't know if this Kincaid guy belongs in there with uh, Zack Sabre Jr. I mean, they had a masterpiece. The match was just beautiful. And it's it's like that from top to bottom. You got, you know, Fred Yehi is just unbelievable. I don't know if you guys have caught him yet. Yep, I've, um, I've seen Austin, him once. Yeah, Austin Theory, you know, Austin Theory out of Georgia. He just turned 20 years old. This kid's got the body of a Greek god. He got the looks of a model, and he looks like he's been wrestling for 15 years, and he's 20. You know, and it's like he's just a prodigy. Um, yeah, Darby Allen. I I couldn't even believe how amazing he was this weekend up there. And everybody that sees this kid for the first time is going, "Oh my God, where did he come from?" Uh, him and DJ Z uh, worked in Chicago on Saturday night and just literally tore the house down. Uh, when Darby came out to the ring, he would get what I would classify as polite applause from the crowd. They, you know, it wasn't quiet. It wasn't, but it wasn't like Zack Saber Jr. coming out there or Matt Riddle. By the end of the match, this place was going bonkers for these guys. They know who DJC is. He's an international star, um, and he's again, he looks like a million dollars. But by the end of that match, Darby Allen was a superstar in, in Chicago, as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, the talent just keeps getting better. Um, a lot of the old school crusty type guys will tell you the talent just keeps getting smaller. You know what? Maybe they are. Who cares? Um, if you look at you, you guys were asking like about Shine representing so much talent in the May Young um, tournament. Um, where does it go from there? I mean, it can't hurt us. We had the uh, Impact Women's Champion on the last Shine show. You guys seen her? Which you know that just don't happen on an indie. Yeah, uh, we had Cedric K. Alexander, WWE contract. A guy took Davy Richards' place when Davy got injured uh, to work for us this past weekend. There's nobody on the indies that, that can make that type of thing happen other than us because we have Gabe, uh, who's working you know as a consultant for NXT. That's not a secret for anybody anymore. Right. Well, he's still our booker. And one guy goes down with injury, which should have really hurt our attendance. WWE immediately says, we'll help you out. They not only send us Cedric Alexander, they send out a Twitter uh, news blast to 9 million followers with links to tickets and this and that. We went from worrying about the house to having packed houses both nights. I mean, you can't, 
you can't buy that type of advertising. We can't, nobody can afford that type of advertising, and they're doing yeah. that for us for nothing just based on our relationship. That's great, man. James, you got anything on that? Okay, so I don't. Okay, I don't know. I mean, and if, and if you can't answer this or whatever, then fine, we can move on. But it is it's sort of something. It's kind of like the elephant in the room. Um, when you you read, you know, when you read the newsletter, and you hear about you know WWE and and WWN and their relationship, and you, as you just alluded to with Gabe, um, is is it kind of sort of a you know, it like the, the stuff's already agreed to as far as like the network and 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 WWN. For WWE Network, like, is it anything to where, like, it's sort of agreed to, but it's pretty much up to whenever Vince decides that he wants to do it on whatever day he wakes up and decides to roll off the bed and do it? You know, I I, I really can't answer that because, you know, if you okay. look, if you look really not that long ago, it looked like progress, um, you know, from England was a lock. It was going to be, as far yeah. as I could tell, that was going to be on the WWE Network because nobody just said it flat out. But it really seemed obvious to me when they locked in all their guys and, and everything uh, to f- prevent them from going anywhere else. And they were showing, you know, different clips and making different announcements on WWE.com. Uh, it just seemed like, okay, the next step is they're going to become a new, you know, a new feature on the WWE Network, which would be cool. And it looked like that with Evolve for, for a couple of years before the Flow Slam deal. Uh, well, now the Flow Slam deal is gone and done. Um, I would like to think that we're going to end up on the WWE Network. Uh, if you look at 205, there is more than some similarities, uh, you know, between the product and even the colors uh, of everything on that show. But these guys, you know, we had Norman Smiley at the seminar this weekend uh, from the, you know, from the uh, NXT Performance Center. Uh, again, I already mentioned it, but they sent us Cedric Alexander, like, in a moment's notice to, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, really help save the day. Uh, and, and we put on awesome shows. Uh, I wish I could tell you that we were to be on the WWE Network by the beginning of the year or next year, but I don't know. Things change so fast in wrestling at a moment's notice. The WWE doesn't need anybody other than, the you know, WWE. They're worth a billion and a half dollars. Um, they don't have to do anything they don't want to do. But as a businessman, I, I would find it insane that if they didn't continue to invest in us in some form, because while they have the NXT uh, Performance Center, they've got Evolve, and Evolve don't cost them anything to develop a whole shit ton of their stars. Uh, again, I've already mentioned a lot of names, but we could go on forever of guys that are currently there and guys that are going to go there and guys that will be coming up down the road that'll end up there that they're not having to run the evolved territory. We are. We, it's, it's our expenses. It's our costs. It's our time. Um, you know, and we we benefit greatly from our relationship with the WWE. But I think anybody would be crazy to not say that they don't benefit as well. Right. Uh, like, and it's throughout the history of wrestling, like, you've seen WWE's, you know, had, like, Memphis, you know, in the, in the back in the days, like, to develop different mm-hmm. stuff. Like, I've seen you were, you used to be in Deep South. Like, they, they used to have that affiliation there as well. So, that is an invaluable thing. Um, I want to have some fun now. So, like, like, it, like we uh, put it a little heavy before, but um, just a co- couple different questions. Um, you know, what's a favorite wrestler you've managed without without offending the rest of them? <laughs> <laughs> I, I really liked working with Jet Jaguar back in the day. Um, and the Southern Posse, you know, when I was younger, 
and then of course the Shane brothers. You know, we had a long, successful run. You know, in in the uh, of course with IPW, uh, but it wasn't just my own shows. You know, we got to go to Puerto Rico together. Uh, we went to Philly, you know, Jersey, Houston. We were all over the place together, and people knew who we were. But Jet Jaguar, the fun that I had with him uh, in the ring and outside the ring, and he's a genius when it comes to uh, a wrestling mind. And he also, at the time, when they were just kicking off the Cruiserweight division in WCW again, it was Jamie Howard, uh, Jet Jaguar, Tony Mamaluke, Jeremy Lopez that all got signed by WCW at the time when everybody was the size of Sid Vicious. Here comes Jet Jaguar, who's like five foot seven, 160 pounds, and his debut match. It was it was uh, it was him and Jeremy Lopez and Mama Luke, and I think uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I forget. The, it might have been Jamie, but it was Bash at the Beach in front of 20,000 people. They had the dark match, mm-hmm. and everybody's watching these total, complete unknowns. All Dean Malenko students come out in front of 20,000 people. They look like the little kids compared to these other guys on the show, and they tore the house down walked back through the curtain and there's Eric Bischoff and the entire crew and they signed him on the spot. And uh, Jet went from being my top cruiserweight uh, that I was sending all over the world and bringing in every cruiserweight you could possibly imagine. I brought in the Florida to put him over. That was any time I brought in a tag or any time I brought in a cruiserweight, they were here to put over Jet Jaguar and the Shane Brothers. It was the entire reasoning for bringing people in and creating these stars and the perception uh, that Florida had this, this, you know, they had, we had this buzz and we had talent that uh, could back up what we were doing. Uh, but he was hysterical. Um, he always, you know, he's the type of guy that he, I just got a million road stories uh, from traveling with him and uh, working with him. He, again, he was this tiny little guy, but yet he incorporated the claw into every match. And it was like this inside rib that we kind of had, you know, how ridiculous <laughs> that Jet Jaguars using a claw. But it got over. And right. People believed it. You know, and the guys would sell, you know, Jet would lock on the claw and it was like putting a vice on someone's head. They would be just selling like, they, you know, they're going out. And, you know, I, I, I know we even use that as a finish a few times, but um, he, he was great. And he is uh, even now, I'm, I, he's a friend of mine, but he's not involved in the business. But if you if you find the IPW Hardcore Wrestling channel on YouTube, he's directly responsible for everything that's on there. He's he's. Uh, even doing VHS to digital, he's the one that's transferred all that stuff and has cataloged it on YouTube. And there's there's hundreds and hundreds of matches of IPW on there that nobody would have been able. I've seen stuff on there that I didn't even know existed anymore. You know, so stuff that while I was running it back then, I didn't have all that much time to go back and watch what we were doing. Right. It's pretty cool to be able to watch it now. You mentioned Puerto Rico. I always hear stories about Puerto Rico and how much you know heat folks get down there and how crazy it is do you have any puerto rico stories you can share with uh with everyone yeah well we were when we went down there we went down as part of uh, the short-lived xwf uh, okay if you guys remember that we were part of the xwf contingent and we did an xwf invasion of uh the world wrestling council and it was myself and the shanes and kid cash and the nasty boys and ian harrison which you guys probably wouldn't remember um, a couple other guys and we went down there and we weren't uh, the former uh, the headhunters which everybody would know from you know King of the Deathmatch tournaments and everything from way back in the day but they were wrestling as the reggaetones and they were they were baby faces now and managed by Joe Don Smith and I you know we did TV the night before it was like old school studio just like you remember with Memphis 
uh, or the old or the old World Championship Wrestling uh, from Georgia on Saturday nights. You know, mm-hmm. this little studio with like a hundred people in there went in there and squashed these two enhancement guys, and then the next week or the next night we're at uh, Roberto Clemente Stadium, and uh, you know I come out and cut this scathing promo, and I'm guessing that 90% of the people didn't even know what I was saying. Uh, but, you know, between facial expressions and tone and whatever, they knew I wasn't a good guy. And here come the reggaetons dancing out to the ring, and Joe Don Smith is rapping, and it was all this. And I just remember trying to get to the back after the match was over, and there's batteries flying by our heads, and there's drinks, and there's chairs. And it was like, it was the greatest feeling in the world. But, you know, the one thing I didn't have thrown at me, I used to always hear uh, people talking about cups of piss getting thrown at them, dirty diapers getting Plate thrown of at them. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. They, if you had heat down there, I mean, you know, Chicky's star it's legendary yeah. down there chicky star is one of the greatest heels in the history of, uh, of puerto rico and i've heard the story i don't know how many times where he came out of the arena and his car was on fire you know i mean it wasn't like they kind wow. of like it was on fire cars on flames fire. and stuff wow. yeah yeah, and there was, there was, you know, you have there. There's some great stories and memories from down there, but some of the biggest tragedies in wrestling happened in Puerto Rico too. Yeah. So, you know, you got Bruiser Brody getting yeah. murdered in the dressing room, and the guy that murdered him it, it stayed as a top babyface and a representative of the company and a booker for several years after that. I mean, that's that's pretty hard to explain. Crazy. It's a different world down there. Um, it's really a shame what's happening down there right now as far as real-world crises and everything. Mm-hmm. And I've got a lot of friends that, uh, that, that have wrestled down there for many years. Uh, a lot of the guys that spent many years down there are right here now. Uh, uh, Fidel Sierra, the Cuban assassin, you know, he's located over in Largo. He's got a Crazy Dave Sports Bar. If you guys are ever looking to go somewhere cool, wrestling pictures on the wall and all that stuff, uh, he's over there. Ricky Santana and uh, Haku are, are, I think, in the Newport Richie area. Even Glamour Boy Shane and uh, Rico Suave uh, live in, uh, I think Rico's in South Florida, but uh, Glamour Boy Shane lives in this area. So it's really cool that, you know, some of the biggest stars of, of, of the past 20, 25 years in the World Wrestling Council, and of course, IWA Puerto Rico, um, the best experience I had with Puerto Rico, though, wasn't wasn't going down there and performing. It was the opportunity to send them talent. I I always considered myself, you know, I tried to put on this persona in Florida of being this larger-than-life character. And I was lucky enough to have my own TV, you know, with UPN for two years. And I had my own radio show with uh, Mike Kelta now, but he was known as Cowhead back then. We used to have the steel cage on Sports Radio 1010. So for being an indie guy with no money... I had my own radio platform every Saturday on the top sports radio station in the number, you know, 15 market in the entire country. And I had UPN with a million and a half homes that we were on at two in the morning. Uh, But you know what, with what we were running, what kind of product we were putting out there, uh, my demographic were crazy ass drunk guys coming home at two in the morning that wanted to see violence and wanted to see girls, (laughs) you know, real, real wrestling. But at the the time, you know, I, I would get a phone call and it was Bushwhacker Luke. You know, I, I didn't know Luke. I, I was lucky enough to have met him a couple of times, but he was the booker for Victor in the IWA Puerto Rico, which was doing some crazy stuff. And uh, he would call me whenever he kind of run dry on heels. He would call me up and ask me to send him a heel or whatever the situation was. And I, you know, I got to send uh, Antonio Banks, which later became MVP down there for a program and I sent Dennis Knight which you guys would know as Midian or Tex Allen very nice guy I got to send him down there you know and with Carlos Colon in the World Wrestling Council 
I had the Shanes, I had Frankie Capone, I had all these different guys going down there. And uh, if you never cared about leaving, they didn't care if you left. They, you know, so if you if you had the luxury of not having a nine to five, uh, you know, the Southern Posse and Bill Payne and Butch Long went down there and they become the tag champs were down there for months and actually making a living on that crazy ass island. Uh, and then some of us just went in and, you know, when I went in, I went in for the weekend, got my money and got the hell out, you know, and I, I was lucky enough because Jimmy Hart was the guy that booked the tour that we uh, had a round trip ticket because that wasn't quite the way they did it back then. If you went and worked for Carlos, <laughs> you were lucky to get a one way and, and then good luck getting the hell out, you know? <laughs> um, so, James, did you uh, want to jump in there? Yes, uh, you mentioned uh, <laughs> about, you know, the, about people throwing pee in Puerto Rico. I remember hearing a story about, you know, and you actually brought up um, Dean Ambrose earlier. Actually, uh, I think it was, this is a show on the network called Table for Three, and um, he was talking about his days working in Puerto Rico, and he mentioned that, like, people would throw pee on you, and sometimes they would even, like, put, them in, put it in water balloons and throw water balloons at you that had mm-hmm. piss in them. And I just <laughs> it made me bust out laughing. But um, I guess I guess what um, I, I want to ask you is, you know, like when you were in, in control of um, of the book of booking your own show, was was that the hardest like moments for you uh, in the business, or was it or was it something else? You know, as far as like a constant. Um, part of the job that that was you know that stuck out to you as far like this is really difficult this is hard well i'm i'm a control freak by nature so and i didn't really once i started putting in a little bit of time by the time i started ipw i'd been in seven years and i had ran some other smaller shows you know under take your pick of abc type xyz names that didn't mean anything um you know i did have some stuff before ipw where I was booking for a group in Plant City that was called the PCWF, which the geniuses before me, it was actually the Plant City Wrestling Federation. I'm going, well, how much more can you possibly regionalize your you know, deal? I guess if they would have named it the Main Street in Plant City Wrestling Federation, it would have been a little bit more regionalized. But I immediately changed it to you know, professional championship wrestling, and um, I came in and, and immediately started cutting guys that had put in some serious time there and kind of considered themselves the local stars and the fans considered them the stars and they really didn't know what was good and what was bad and good luck telling me that what they thought was good was good because i knew better as far as i was concerned <laughs> well you know to prove them that i knew better my next my first champion as booker was hayabusa uh which you know if you guys know anything about uh, fmw over in japan you know, Hayabusa to this day is just a legend. You know, the guy sold out Kawasaki Stadium with that Sushi Onita and that exploding uh, barbed wire cage match in front of 50-something thousand people. Uh, well, at the time, Hayabusa was a, a I, I should know, but I forget his, his uh, real name, but he was just wrestling under his name over in Japan as an underneath guy, and they sent him to Mexico to get some seasoning and to start trying out this new gimmick, which was Hayabusa. Mm-hmm. You know, which was at the time, you know, even now his gear would be awesome. But at the time, it was like he came from the future. You know, he was he was this jacked up, cool, good looking, long haired Power Rangers, what he looked like. Well, he went from Mexico to here. And uh, Horace Hogan 
uh, Horace Boulder at the time and Mike Gossam were FMW guys. And then Haystacks Calhoun Jr., which is, you know, one of my oldest friends in the business, uh, he worked for FMW, so they were kind of his handlers while he was here. Mm -hmm. So I ran the road with those guys a lot from town to town, and then I got the book in Plant City, and I was using Navy SEAL and guys like Randy Fuller, Buck Quarter, Remain, Take Your Pick, and then I bring in this Japanese, you know, comic book character, and you're bringing him into, I'm sure you guys have been to Plant City at either the Strawberry Festival or places like that. You're talking the country, you know, and it was nothing but a bunch of, you know, white farmer type people. And here I bring in this foreign guy and I'm using him as a baby face on top. And these people didn't know what <laughs> Yeah, they had no idea. What is this? <laughs> yeah, well, then, well, then he gets in the ring and performs. And I mean... These people, after picking their jaws up off the floor, they realized that they had just seen the future of wrestling. And I was lucky enough to have Hayabusa uh, under me for like three, I think it was like three months. And even cooler, I then found out after the fact that he was living in a hotel that was literally across the street from the apartment complex I was living in at the time, and a house that we moved into a little later. Um, so he spent, you know, spent time at our house and, and was just, we couldn't communicate at all. I, I, I'm, I'm always the genius that if I'm speaking to somebody in a different language, I figure if I talk slow and really loud that they'll understand me. So that was always, a, a you know, just watch it and try to talk to him. But, you know, it, it was, it was one of those, like, I always tell stories and sometimes I forget that one of, of. He's probably one of the biggest stars that, you know, internationally that I ever did serious business with. Um, and that was before IPW. But once IPW got going and I had the book and the control, uh, it, it was addictive. Uh, I loved it. I liked, I, I'm, I think I'm creative when it comes to wrestling. At the time, I was incredibly creative. I had a lot of bad ideas, but I had a lot of what I thought was genius ideas. Um, the biggest problem I had was it all went to my head, and I really, truly believed that nothing could happen in Florida without my blessing. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's a, it's an, it's like a drug. You know, when you're the guy telling a guy he's booked or he's not booked or he's dropping the strap or he's winning the strap, uh, the appreciation one minute talking to one guy and then the resentment the next minute talking to another guy is, is a tug of war tough. that you've got to be able to deal with it. And at the time, I was dealing with a lot of guys that are, you know, six foot three, six four, six five, you know, three hundred and something pound grizzled, hard ass dudes, and I didn't have any fear at it ever. I never, I never was afraid of them. I didn't uh, really get phased dealing with them. But when I look back at it now, I mean, I had to have had a screw loose uh, dealing with these guys the way I did. But I established, I established a reputation of uh, taking care of people that work for me. Um, I, being honest, I established a reputation, too, of not, not being the best payoff guy because I just didn't have the money. Uh, the money we, we made, we had to funnel right back into the bills to maintain the WrestlePlex, to pay for TV, uh, to pay for the tapes. It wasn't cheap back then. Everything was done on those big-ass master tapes. Mm -hmm. I, they were like 100 bucks a piece. It wasn't when you went to like min, you know, Mini-DB and these other formats. Now you just put that stuff on a zip drive or, or, you know, some type of flash drive and turn it in and you're good to go. Back then it was these big clunky beta looking type deals. Everything was expensive, which meant nobody was making a lot of money. But they knew when they came in that they, the red carpet was rolled out. Uh, you were treated well. You were never asked to do anything. Um, the way I look at it is, and being a former military guy is I, I didn't believe in asking anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. So if I asked you to do something you had a problem with me, 
or, or the situation, you probably didn't belong there and weren't good fit. You'd find yourself gone fast. So um, there was a lot of satisfaction that came with it, but there was also a lot of anxiety. I made a lot of enemies. I made a lot of friends for life. Um, and some of those enemies to this day are still enemies, except for I don't sell and I don't act like they exist. <laughs> and uh, they'll try to tell you the same thing. But if I posted something on Facebook right now, they'll be reading about it and posting about what I said five minutes, you know, five minutes from now. That ain't changed. Right. Um, I wanted to say, uh, I wanted to ask, if there was one guy that you could manage right now, like a current star in the WrestleMania main event, who would it be? Well, some of the guys that I'm I'm really paying attention to, I, I this Keith Keith Lee is is just amazing. I mean, he is really truly amazing. Uh, I love Matt Riddle. Uh, as far as you know, loyalty wise, uh, Francisco Chiazzo is as good as it gets. Uh, he also just isn't your prototypical big guy. But yet he doesn't work like a small guy. But he's he has become over the last 15 years probably one of the best heels that that I I mean that I've worked with, and I've worked with all of them. Uh, but there, the thing is, is the talent pool right now is so deep. Uh, back when back when you know I was doing what I was doing with IPW, you had 10 or 15 guys out there that uh, if you brought in a name, it was again it was Chris Daniels, AJ Styles, Reckless Youth. There was only a handful of them out there. There's like a hundred guys right now. You could have PWG, Ring of Honor, Evolve, and uh, take your pick of all kinds of other different indies out there running on the same night, and every one of the shows are loaded. You know what I mean? So it's right. like uh, it, you kind of get like I mentioned earlier with the fans. As a as a promoter or booker right now, they get kind of spoiled because they just got their pick of the litter. Um, but as far as who I would like to manage, I mean, give it a few more years. I think Austin Theory is going to be amazing. He, I think he's going to be just any to me. He just looks like a natural heel. You know, people don't want to they, they don't even want to believe anybody could be that good looking and that shredded and that young. <laughs> I mean, it's and I, I think more people have a hard time with it than anything where they're just they don't understand that he doesn't roll out of bed every day and look that way. He's in the gym. He's eating right. He's busting his ass. He's at the school training. Uh, nobody's given him anything. But after what I saw from him and well, Fred Yehi this monster. weekend, I'm sold. Yeah, this guy looks like a monster. I just pulled up, uh, pulled him up online. Um, hey, well, well, I have. I was wondering. So, I mean, you mentioned, and you hear this a lot about how how much depth there is on the indie scene, and how you know because because of that, the indie scene is kind of bubbling right now. Do you think that is because of um, you know guys like you and Gabe of having because of you know the last you know, seven or ten years or so having to restock the shelves more or less because guys, you know, end up on TNA, end up, you know, on in WWE development, developmental somewhere. Like, do you think that's because of the, you know, the guys, it was a need for that? Or do you think it was more because of just, you know, the world is smaller because of the Internet and there's more access to see people, you know, as opposed to back in the day when you would, you know, see people have to, you know, pop in the VHS to kind of scout somebody? I think it's the the internet more than anything. It's just shrunk the world down to, you know, you could have been busting your ass on the indies out there before, and it was still, you know, if, if Dave Meltzer wasn't talking about you in The Observer, um, or if you didn't, you know, have somebody get behind you and really start pushing you that had some name value, good luck finding, you know, these guys unless they came to your town, uh, you know, 
I've always loved New Japan Pro Wrestling, but I, I just loved it more based on its history and it and uh, you know it, it basically what they had done over decades now to create the the, the name brand that they are. Uh, but now I'm able to watch it, you know what I mean, and see what's going on over there. Uh, you know, what we did up there this weekend in Detroit and Chicago, you know, all somebody's got to do is go to WWNlive.com and pay a few bucks and watch it uh, or other means that everybody knows that everybody finds a way to, if you want to see something bad enough, we can watch something right now on, on our TV that's in the theaters if we want, if we feel like doing that, whether it's on your smart TV or Internet. Mm-hmm. Wrestling's the same way. And uh, the technology is so advanced now. Everything's right now. You know, before even just getting booked, you couldn't you couldn't talk on this instant messenger or send. Uh, Here's hey, check this out on YouTube. I think you'll like what you see. You actually had to get in, you know, transfer tapes and mail them out and hope that these people didn't throw them, you know, in the junk pile when they got them. Um, it, it's just a different animal. Uh, I think that the the talent level is deeper than ever. Uh, I don't ever put myself, I won't even mention myself in the same breath as what Gabe has done. Well, I'd like to say that I've accomplished even a fraction of what he's done. Uh, you know, the stars that he has flat out created or helped create over the last 15 years is insanity. Uh, he picked up right where Paul left off uh, as his protege. Um, he, he's created so many stars and he's still doing it. You know, and now he's got a hand up there with NXT as far as producing those shows. So. I think if I was doing now what I was doing then, and if the environment was now um, that way back then, I think a lot of the guys that I was pushing that didn't get opportunities, I have no doubt that several of them would have got jobs uh, because people would have, they would have known who they were and they would have demanded that somebody give them an opportunity. Uh, I've always said, I, I'll never understand how Scoot Andrews, Buck Quarterman, and Mike Sullivan didn't get jobs, and I never understood how the Shanes didn't get one sooner and then keep it, other than the fact that they started a little late and they were they were older compared to the majority of the guys that were developmental. But uh, it, again, it's Buck and Scoot and, uh, and Sullivan were just unbelievably talented wrestlers, and that's just off the top of my head, three of them, that I pushed to the moon. Uh, but I would always be really disenchanted with the fact that I didn't want them on my roster forever. I wanted them to get an opportunity, move on. Then I move the next young guy up, just like Evolve does. Evolve's whole roster could be rated tomorrow, and Gabe would have them all replaced by the next show. And while we would miss those guys uh, badly, the guy's got it. He, he knows right now. He, he, won't, he wouldn't tell me if I asked. But I guarantee you, for every person or team or, or uh, character that's on that show, uh, I guarantee he's got their replacement right now if, if, if something happened, whether it was an injury uh, or whether they got signed. He knows who the next guy is he wants. He's been doing this forever. Um and on the flip side of that, like, what's something that you miss, you know, that wrestlers and, you know, fans and even in 2017 now will, will no longer be able to experience? Well, I kind of miss the uh, the grind. You know, I mean, I really do. The guys are still out there and they're running the road and, you know, they're they're living out there. You know, somebody that really somebody that really wants to make it, you know, they're basically living out of their car or sometimes somebody else's car uh, and, and, you know, peanut butter sandwiches or whatever they can. And they're trying to find a way to the gym every day. And there isn't a lot of money. There is no transportation until you've made a name for yourself. There's nobody paying for any of that stuff. Um, I think it's really cool that the guys nowadays have more opportunities to make real paydays, uh, to get their trans uh, when they start making a name for themselves, their trans, their hotels, and everything covered. Uh, but I think that a lot of the guys 
they're missing out by having to grind it out and having to pay their dues. I've always equated wrestling on the independent scene uh, to exactly like being in a band that's trying to make it, man. When you start a band, I don't care who, how good you are. The only people watching you are your girlfriends and your, your family. And usually you're working for a bar tab if you're lucky. You know, you have four or five guys in the band, you're getting no money. And you might get a, a, a tab for 50 or 100 bucks of beers. You know what I mean? And, and, you, and you wouldn't change it for nothing. Well, that's what it was like on the indies when I was coming out. You know, you'd go. And if you didn't have any merchandise to sell, uh, you were lucky, you know, to get a minimal payday and you're splitting gas amongst everybody, sleeping in some shack of a hotel that you're splitting amongst each other. And I wouldn't change those days for anything. I learned so much out on the road and and, and learning the hard way, um, but it builds character and it makes you appreciate when you finally do make it. Last question, Ron. Um, and, and I thank you for, for taking this uh, time with us. Like, uh, I just want to know, what is your proudest moment in the business? There's a lot, but the um, the, the very first Jeff Peterson Memorial Cup was, was unbelievable for me. It really was. It was a, a sad situation um, that, you know, still to this day really, really hits home to those of us that knew Jeff. Uh, but to watch, you know, the, the wrestling community and world come together uh, to put on this show, and I'll never forget, you know, we had 16 of the best, you know, that gathered. CM Punk was one of them. Reckless Youth won that first one. We had Colt Cabana there. Uh, you, you know, you just had a who's who. And uh, we're outside, and the show's going on in there, and I'm outside. It's it's hot as hell like it always was. Everybody's emotional. Everybody's, you know, doing the best that they can. And I'll never forget Macho Man Randy Savage pulling up in this big Humvee. And he comes walking out and he says, uh, you know, I'm not even gonna try to impersonate him, but he says, would you mind if I say a few words? I said, are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> Get I, in, I there. Follow him in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, holy shit, it's Macho Man. And we go inside, the match ends, I get the, I get the cue to the ring announcer and Randy Savage in my building, honoring, you know, somebody that I and everybody else on that roster considered our little brother to go out there. Randy didn't know him, but he found out what the situation was. He wasn't invited. He wasn't asked. I didn't think it was even a possibility, uh, but he showed up on his own. And I think it was probably Steve Kern or somebody else of that nature got him the word. And he came and uh, said, you know, he gave like a, a two minute promo. He finished, he walked out the door. And I don't know if I ever saw him again after that. If I did, it was very limited. Uh, and there's one other uh, deal that was a very strange but incredible situation where the NWA uh, ran by Howard Brody was doing their 53rd anniversary show here in Tampa and they booked a convention center which I I was supposedly working hand in hand with Wildside in uh, NWA Florida at the time and I was not happy that they had booked this venue that they were going to look like complete assholes when 200 or maybe 300 people showed up in the convention center, it, it just wasn't going to be a good situation. I said, run the Russellplex. If you get 200 people, it's going to look like we got 2,000. The place was insanity. It was just this little hole in the wall that I would pile in people until the fire marshal would show up and say, you got too many people. And I did that <laughs> all the time. Well, sure enough, the convention center really wasn't locked in. It fell apart. And uh, they ended up moving it to the Russellplex. So I had every NWA promoter in the country in their shitty J.C. Penny suits in my building, you know. Uh, but in that building, you had Shinya Hashimoto against Steve Carino 
in one of the most brutal matches that I have ever seen. And I've been, again, I've seen some crazy stuff. Uh, what Carino allowed himself to go through for that match and the aura and just Hashimoto was a legitimate badass monster star. And he's in my dressing room. Nobody was allowed in there. We had probably 50 guys there. Everybody had to clear out when it was time for him to get dressed. And he had his young boys there were taking off his boots and putting on his boots. He had a whole team of photographers with him. He had a camera crew. He had whatever. And Steve went out there and just tore the house down in front of the right crowd because my crowd understood what was going on. And my crowd gave them the respect and appreciation they deserved. And truthfully, Steve Carino, from that point forward, was a major act with Zero One over in Japan. And uh, I love Steve. I, I, he's at NXT now, too, doing a great job, and I'm extremely proud of him, which he doesn't need my uh, endorsement or, or, you know, stamp of approval. He's done it all. Former ECW world champ, former, you know, Zero One international, just major star. Uh, but I like to think that that match is what, help push Steve over that hump to get over to zero one and become the uh, major player he was in Japan for at least a decade after that. Uh, that match, I'll, I'll never forget it. It was a very special moment. Uh, we had people from all over the world, Japan, Mexico, the top guys from around the country, and the NWA Florida versus IPW versus Wildside feud was at its peak and ended with, um, the show ended with NWA Florida and IPW, which we had been in a blood feud for about a year. The show ended with the uh, NWA Wildside guys turning on NWA Florida and leaving all of us destroyed in the ring, blood everywhere, weapons everywhere, and the NWA Wildside guys standing tall. So we put them over in my building on the biggest show that, you know, I'd like to say my shows were bigger, but that was clearly one of the biggest shows we ever had there. Uh, and we were willing to let them stand tall in the middle of my ring with Bill Barons, who was their promoter, kind of playing my role of the heel uh, manager, heel owner, heel just asshole, uh, standing tall as the Georgia guys, as all the Florida guys, NWA Florida, IPW, side by side, covered in blood after we've been feuding together for a year. And then we aligned to feud with them for another six months or so. It was it was an epic moment on an epic show, and it was probably my, one of my proudest. That's excellent, man. Uh, James, you got any uh, final questions for Ron? Oh, well, seeing um, anyone that listens to this show knows that James Boyd is a gigantic Johnny Gargano fan. Um, I wanted to uh, know what your thoughts um, are uh, on him as far as uh, his career so far in W. I'm sorry, WWE, but uh, NXT. Well, he's one I kind of feel goofy that I didn't mention him. I mean, you want to talk about Mystery Evolve. I mean, Johnny Wrestling, I mean, the guy helped put Evolve on the map uh, and keep us on the map long before I was ever there. And uh, I was lucky enough to call some of his matches and to watch this guy wrestle. And he, he really is one of the best in the world. Um, he went into NXT, never missed a beat. Um, I, I hate the fact that right when they, they split the team and were going into that hot angle that his uh, former partner got injured, uh, but when he comes back, I guarantee that's going to pick up right where it left off. But you want to talk about a talent. And again, he's got he's young. He's got all this time. And uh, the business, you know, for lack of a better term, is evolving every day. It's changing. Uh, he, he could be a top guy. Uh, most people that have been watching, you know, wrestling since they were kids or 
or forever or even really not that long. You look and, and you you just don't think of a guy Johnny's size of having a real chance at the uh, the next level, which would be either Raw or SmackDown. I, I'd be willing to bet everything we'll be watching him on Monday night or Tuesday night within the next year or so, and he will be able to compete at that level. And I think he's going to make a lot of money. Um, I also think that he's the type that he's he takes his craft and the business serious enough that just like Sammy Callahan, if things took a turn that maybe wasn't quite going his way, I have no doubt that he would go and do what's best for him. Uh, and just like Chris Hero, you know, Chris had that opportunity. They let him go. Everybody was upset. Everybody was mad. Chris Hero didn't miss a beat. He just started taking bookings all over the world, and NXT brought him right back because he's he's good and he belongs there. Um, Chris Hero, you know, trained at Dory Bunk School here in, in Florida. Uh, guys like him and Gargano, and uh, now you got the whole um, O'Reilly and, and Fish, and you know, it's just this. It's like a super indie NXT, and I think WWE is just going to follow suit. You know, it's going to be. Remember when we were younger, you'd always talk about dream matches, whether it was Goldberg versus Rock or when I was a kid, Hulk, you know, versus Flair, or even before then, Bockwinkle versus Race or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, you turn on NXT or WWE every week now, it's a dream match. You know, uh, um, Alistair Black, you know, Tommy Endy was for us with Evolve. How good is that guy? Yes. I mean, how cool does he look? Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it isn't just that these guys are talented and the girls are, are ultra-talented. They're, they're all so different. You don't have the uh, what you used to have not all that long ago where you could have kind of cut the head off of everybody and it just looked like the same body <laughs> for everybody. Everybody just looked like they were cut from the same mold. It's so different, and there's so much different characters and personalities. And, and you know, you you got talent. I love listening to the promos because you've got people from all over the world. It's a true international feel with the WWE and NXT now. And uh, it, it's it's a very good time to be a wrestling fan. I'm going to tell you something. It's even better time to be a wrestler because the opportunities are endless. Yeah, man. Um, well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, Ron, once again, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you guys enjoyed this um, interview, uh, Ron, tell the people how they can find you. Well, you can find me on Facebook uh, under my real name, Ron Nimi. And uh, if you go to WWNlive.com, uh, you can find all the uh, Evolve, FIP, Shine, ACW-style battle. Um, I'm all over all those. Fortunately for everybody, I'm not wrestling, thank God. But I'm doing interviews, I'm doing commentary, I'm doing a little bit of everything. But if you're looking for the best young talent out there from all over the world, I'm here to tell you, even the even the ACW. If you're a local fan down here in Florida, every Wednesday night up at the uh, at the mall in Newport Ritchie, they have the Proving Ground shows. There's this talent up there named Saeed Al Sabah. If you have not seen this kid, you're you're not doing yourself a favor because you need to go buy a ticket and see him. He is going to be the next star that comes out of Florida. Uh, he did a hell of a job on the last style battle. If he's not an Evolve in the next year, I'll be shocked. And I won't be shocked if he moves on from there because he is the real deal and he's only been around a couple of years. But his promo work is fantastic. 
and his work in the ring is even better. So get out and support it, man. If you're even, I keep saying Florida because that's just where I am. If you're anywhere where there's an indie show, go out and support these guys. Uh, trust me, you're going to like it. You're going to be right there. You're going to be part of the action. You're going to be able to interact with these folks. Uh, and they're dependent on you. They can't make it to the next level without the support of the fans. And it's really not expensive. You, you know, you can afford to take the whole family, get out there and support it. Uh, if you can't, then like I said, get on www.live.com and we got all of our major shows on internet pay-per-view on there. Uh, and coming up in um, in a couple weeks, like I said, Saturday and Sunday, I believe it's the 14th and 15th, uh, we'll be up in New York and Connecticut and those shows are loaded. They're going to be sick. You should check them out. Definitely, man. I, I, w- I was checking the uh, profile database. I actually pulled up ten Ron Nimi matches, so I'm on the hunt no. for I'm on the hunt for video no. now. Good luck. You'll be poking your eyes out after the first one if it's me actually wrestling. <laughs> Anything with me wrestling, not good. Anything with me cutting promos, probably pretty good. <laughs> yep. Excellent, man. Thank you for joining us. All right, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I had fun. Excellent, man. Uh, well, definitely. Thank you. Definitely. So make sure you guys um, subscribe to the show, and um, we're going to wrap it up here. Peace. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.